0: What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I usually do walk and talks on the weekend, not every weekend, but quite often. Obviously, most of us are at home or should be at home. And so what I've done is I've opened my window and you might hear some New York sounds. I'm in the Upper West Side of New York. It's been very quiet the past week. Not a lot of yelling in the streets. Every now and then I hear birds in the background, which uh, I love to hear. Uh, But it's, it's generally been quiet outside. For what it's worth, I've I think I snuck out very briefly yesterday. The parks in the Upper West Side were actually very, very busy. I was surprised because I hadn't been out in at least a week. And the week before that, I was quite sick. So I've pretty much been home for the most part for two weeks now. I have a feeling I might have had it. I had a lot of the symptoms and uh, the whole coronavirus thing, which we won't talk too much about today. I'm always torn between talking directly about it knowing that that's what a lot of us are surrounded by right now versus talking about other things to give people a break and in talking about other things to give people a break you risk the opinion that your judgment is bizarre because people are going through some stuff so who are you to talk about these other things but i really really do remember going through september 11 and 2008 uh, at a distance from the epicenter of those things and I remember some of the late night talk shows hosts back then debating about what they should do should they be on air and people like dude people you need to be on air and so I I think it's a really nice attitude not that uh, I'm a late night talk show host uh, or not that I'm aspiring to be one or any of that but I'm like let's just stay active and uh, for whatever reason you listen to particularly the solo monologue Podcasts that are always unscripted, full of strange rambles. Let's just continue. And, uh, you know, if people listen to them, they'll keep happening. If people don't listen to them, they won't keep happening. It's totally cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I was pretty sick a week or so ago and I had a lot of the symptoms. And the, thing, the confusing thing about the symptoms was that you see all these diagrams, these infographics that break down the symptoms people sometimes have for coronavirus. You know, I had a really, really bad cold on the chest. When I was breathing, it felt like I was breathing over cold air that was stuck in the chest. If you know what that feeling is, and every now and then the breath sounded like a, a percolator, a coffee percolator, kind of uh, it, 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 it bubbles. Uh, I was with uh, my grandfather when he passed away, and I would tell that story every now and then. And uh, for the first time, I heard what a death rattle is, and it was I didn't didn't really know what one was. I hadn't heard it until my mid twenties, and so there's this sort of air going through the the lungs in a way that sounds slightly like a rattlesnake uh, when someone actually is in and has the death rattle it's different there's a different cadence because it, it's often like this huge breath in i actually counted the seconds between breaths when i was with my grandfather back in the day and then a huge breath out and sometimes you're like is it going to be another one are we doing this again what's going on and you just you just hope that there's another one uh like I said before, these are rambles. I don't usually know what's going to come out. So uh, I have a sort of, I've thought about death a lot over the years and uh, I'm relatively at peace with it. Uh, I know that might seem like a strange thing to say as we kick this off. Uh, There are different schools of philosophy and spirituality that actually encourage you to think about death. So there's, in, I don't know if this is like a Buddhist idea, but I've read books about meditation and, and Buddhism, and in one, at least one of those books, uh, there's the practice of waking up and meditating and repeating to yourself, "I might die today. I might die today. I might die today." Uh, and if you start that way, I, th- I guess the thinking is, first of all, you're just acknowledging reality because really, we we don't know. We don't know what's happening in a few minutes from now, let alone in, in weeks, years. So you might die today and and it sort of encourages a sense of peacefulness. And perhaps it's also suggesting that, well, if you might die today, why don't you go do something with that day, whatever part of that day you've got left. Uh, I want to be really careful because I know that some of these darker topics can be real triggers for people. And I, I will express as best I can when I bring them up that I express them in a, I'm trying to express them in a compassionate, sensitive way uh, and, uh, I, and I've, I do that from a place of having spent quite a few decades with, uh, with challenged mental health. If you've listened to any of these, it might not surprise you For what it's worth. I, f- I feel really grounded and balanced and, uh, really trying to enjoy life and be creative and constructive and, and compassionate and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And when I hear myself talk the way I just talked then and, and talking about these ideas, these ideas are a bit new to me because for a very long time I felt like an outsider I felt broken people told me I was broken Uh, and the things that I felt I wasn't supposed to feel and people told me that because you know what they didn't have those feelings and then you're like hang on it's okay we we can feel the way that we need to feel and we can build ways to try to cope with them but maybe they're not always going to work you can try to jam mantras into your head me the word right now is the word contribute if I find myself a little bit freaking out I'm like contribute 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 I didn't have those skills and that that ability to switch like that when I was uh, younger and and also especially when I was a younger employee because you're constantly while I was wrestling with the, the power structures that be whereas now I feel like I'm trying to exist in a slightly different reality and it's a reality that puts hopefully creativity and contribution at its core i'm not trying to sound noble it's just these these are the ideas in my head you can obviously in a very uh an excessively self-aware and an excessively honest way talk about evolutionary psychology and how most of what we do is a fight for a position in hierarchy so status a fight for resources and potentially mating opportunities so when i'm talking about contribution and specifically contributing through creativity. I guess those other evolutionary psychology ideas, dynamics are also at play. I'm not going to lie. They're probably at play, but I enjoy doing this and doing these rambles and the writing and the drawing have helped me find my voice over the years, especially in recent years. And I say that just because a lot of people are going to be freaking out right now while possibly, possibly also having a lot of time on their hands. And if you can, somehow wedge some of these thoughts into your head so that maybe it's just an hour a day that you try to write or create or do something where you're not just fixated with the news or the social media platforms and finding out about the coronavirus count and all this sort of stuff. Just an hour or 30 minutes or 10 minutes or just a little bit more than yesterday to see if that can help you create a a, a beat, a cadence in your life so that throughout all the other craziness, you can try to return to that beat. Don't know, you can totally reject everything I'm saying. What I'm gonna do today is gonna do a little bit of real talk. I'll run you through a brief highlight of some of the exercises that I've been running people through this week in the Facebook group Sweathead. There are a bit under 15 hours worth of training and conversations that we've put up this week. It was good fun. We'll talk about that in a second. And then I'm going to answer some questions. So again, whenever you send me questions through Twitter or Instagram, I don't always put it on Twitter because I always get nervous that people will be a little bit more attacking like, but I usually share them or share the prompt on on Instagram stories. It's, It's just, it's a gift. It allows me to just to think and to riff and I really enjoy it. It's uh, obviously, and I know I say this a little bit, obviously you have to have a sense of arrogance to even record yourself doing what you, what I'm doing right now. But I feel like most strategists have, you have to have arrogance because you're coming up with stuff about the future. You're trying to predict the future, trying to create the future, it's, it's arrogant. <laughs> Who needs it? Well, we do, we do. Uh, I, I really do hope that the world can reflect about what's happening right now for me specifically around a lot of issues to do with health, healthcare systems and education specifically. Uh, I'm just nervous that we're going to return to business as usual because in certain parts of the world, there are a lot of powerful narcissistic sociopaths running things. And you've got often a stock exchange who's basically the boss of a country and when I was watching some of the recent political debates in the US, and don't worry, I'm not going to trap you in a thing about politics, I, I, I try to just, I, I dabble with it and I try to look at it more for, to analyse the narrative techniques and to learn the ideas, because there are people with good ideas on in all parts of the political world. Uh, and so I try to... Learn from it where possible without getting too caught up in it slightly in in a slightly intellectually disinterested way. Where I'm interested in the in the content more than the format, although the format can also be interesting. But the thing is that a lot of the like I find in the states between us. Okay, don't don't take this out of context. I, I feel like the Democrats are a conservative party in the states compared to pretty much every other first world liberal democracy. And that's happened, from what I understand, from decades of propaganda and think tanks working out how to have things like healthcare not be for everyone. And if you say it's for everyone, you're immediately a communist. It's like, how did that happen? Why don't we start with the idea that healthcare is a human right? Why don't we start with that one? That's not communism. And so, look, I, I hope things change through this. And um, but I am I'm, I'm nervous it's going to be business as usual because it's... Most people, we drift through life and we want people to tell us what to do and that's what they do. And We kind of outsource our lives, sometimes to timesheets and sometimes just to banks. It's hard. you know. And I don't say this stuff in like a ranty, conspiratorial way, but every now and then I'm sure it hits you, hang hey, on, aren't I really just working for a bank here, especially when you've got loans or even if you're renting or whatever it is, you're giving someone money who's giving someone money to a bank and it's not that you have to even agree with these ideas or whether these ideas are right or wrong. It's just, okay, maybe that one annoyed me. Why did it annoy me? Well, how can I behave differently? I don't think it's about destroying society. That's a problematic idea anyway, but look, hopefully you're, uh, you're doing okay. Um, I mentioned this uh, in Sweathead in the Facebook group. I, I had some rough news the other day about a friend and uh got drunk and cried a lot probably did a lot of ugly crying very late at night and woke up and thought why did i do all of that the crying's okay it's been a while since i've had a good cry um and then i was like you know what what are we going to do today contribute 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 so i'm like okay what can we do what can we do um, pretty much all and i've spoken to other friends many of whom that well some of you might be listening but others uh you, you might know them uh, a lot of people i know right now who live more of that consulting freelance life or public speaking life their years gone it's just it's nearly completely gone and some of them have been able to build savings some of them are able to live quite cheaply or affordably and and hope that things come back sooner rather than later i'm not sure how we get back to I'll say normalcy, but I'm not sure how we get back to a sense of safety until there's a vaccine that's available in a widespread matter. Because from what I see, it's just going to take one or two people in a community for this thing to kick off again. So you know, I'm I'm thinking, and this is not best or worst case, because I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to use this time uh, as best I can, not knowing what the hell is going to happen, not knowing whether I've got it and if it's going to come back or if I, all that kind of stuff and whether I've passed it on or all oh, that. I don't know. I don't know. But while I'm here, going to keep going, keep contributing and, and fingers crossed that we all get through it. I'm seeing there was a spreadsheet that popped up last night from uh, essentially the Portland advertising industry. Uh, I think there were about 80 or 90 people who've lost jobs this week uh, that were on that spreadsheet and there are little initiatives like this popping up and it's incredible. Uh, Mahaka is out to all of you, you know, just if you are able to take care of your essential needs, your, your loved one's essential needs, money, uh, cash flow loans, food, shelter, Um, you know, I I hope that you're able to. I hope that you're able to. It might seem strange to do some real talk after that, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I post these little real talk things every now and then. They're not called real talk. I'm just using it as a label to to Instagram stories. Uh, I woke up this morning and I realized that I hadn't expressed and I was like, what's on my mind? And so I decided to express some stuff. And it's funny, I'm not going to use rude words today swear words or curse words i say rude words now because I, in some parts of the world people like swear words you mean you like swearing on the bible as opposed to curse words which is the the normal word in the us but i i would try not to use any of those words today and what is funny is i sometimes drop these raw rude frank philosophical jabs at people and every now and then it's not every now and then i get quite a few messages back where people are like are you okay why are you so angry you seem really bitter and it's like, it's just a character. Like, look at all the other stuff I put out there. There's like love and compassion and kindness and contribution. It doesn't mean I can't channel some kind of angry character. And so, uh, you know, if I was actually an artist, I wouldn't even reveal this. I would just keep doing it. But people seem to be concerned. And I get messages from people in the middle of the night where they are and people kind of lecturing me about certain things. I'm like, hey, relax. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. So I'm going to read you this little story. I'm going to run you very, very quickly through some of the exercises I took people through this week. I'll answer some questions and here's the deal. I'm here. What I have offered is to anyone who's working with an organization or group of people right now who needs some help with strategy or advertising work, uh, I'm around seven days a week like you and there are going to be occasions where I'm happy to jump on a call uh, or we can run a a public, we can run a workshop and that could be private or public I don't like big workshops that's no secret I've run hundreds of them over, hundreds of them over the years but if it's a couple of people on a call we can do it we can also potentially record it and put it into sweathead on, on facebook which is about 10 10,000 people in it it's a private group if you haven't checked it out or we could potentially even put po- publish it as a podcast so uh, oh and the other thing is like I can try to bring other strategy people in and even friends who run other agencies or creatives so the operations and organizing of that kind of stuff is not my strong suit. I was a digital producer for a long time, but it's not my strong suit. If you're listening to this and you're like, I got really good operational skills and you're interested, let me know. I've just put little messages out about this. Uh, and, and, uh, and I'm, yeah. So yeah, we talked to banquet B A N K U E T on Friday. We ran a little pub, uh, workshop. We posed, we kept it, we streamed it. Sorry. Didn't keep it. We streamed it to, Facebook, the Sweathead Group, Banquet. Uh, there was a startup that helped food banks in the UK and they help food banks get what they need when they need it. And we talked about some of the issues that people might have as far as giving money to food banks and what might block them from wanting to do that. And one of the, main problems that we focused on this is you know it's a relatively new startup we didn't have a lot of uh, like formal research at hand but the main obstacle the barrier that we discussed was that people might not or people don't we'll say don't but we made it up people don't give money to food banks because they think people take advantage of food banks and so we riffed on some thoughts we ended on this on this language which we're still playing with it might need to get sharper that the appeal to people would be that, hey, essentially, you might need this one day as well. So you're not just giving... Well, there's two things. You might need this one day. And second, food banks aren't just about food. A lot of food banks actually fulfill other needs for people, like social needs, sense of community, and uh, connecting them to other resources as well. So that would have to be part of the story. And we we ended on this sentence or phrase of like feed your future self. And I think it, it might need a little bit of... Uh, Muscle, a little bit more flexing, needs to be more specific. But if you want to watch a two-hour workshop, you can. Uh, we will probably, we are going to create some artifacts for it that we'll share as well. I was talking to uh, someone doing some strategy for a restaurant in, uh, an Indian restaurant in uh, Edinburgh or well, and Glasgow today. And so we're trying to work out how to help them increase their delivery services, uh, the, their delivery business. And then on, uh, on Monday, and I don't think any of this will be necessarily public, but on Monday we're having a chat to an agency who's working with a brewery in Atlanta, Georgia, that's had to furlough something like 50 of its people and we might talk about a campaign to help some of the independent breweries in, in that region. Uh, so these are some of the things that, that I'm playing with. If you need help, just, just DM me on any platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we'll see what we can assemble. And if you've got operations skills, or would like to be involved, reach out. Anyway, so here's some real talk, all right? I hope some of you are realizing how ridiculous your work lives are now that you have home work lives. How can I run a workshop for 30 people on Zoom? 30 people in a workshop? What's all that about? Why would you do that? This is one example of lazy working. Make yourself feel busy and important, but waste everybody's time. Nonsense. All your meetings, stop having them. The lazy and extroverted are controlling you. Shift your meetings to the afternoon, make them short. Time passes differently at home. You could work 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. with no meetings and be more creative and more productive. Your silly job titles, America. I hope all the meetings you continue to have start with self-introductions and title droppings. After a while, senior, rising, associate, business, empowerment, and an integration leader will look stupid coming from someone who might not even be wearing pants. Timesheets. If you love them so much, why don't you marry them? Your weak conscience. Some of you have spent years working for clients who are predators, who lobby governments for social welfare, and who take advantage of society. How will you keep justifying it after this? Sh- uh, Poo storm passes. We're watching. Management offsites. <clears throat> Sorry, friends who work in management. They don't work. 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 Often they are mud wrestles between a company's most powerful sociopaths. If yours aren't like this, then can I please come watch and decide for myself? Long hours and little vacation. Ah, you're so special. Look at all that work you whisper to to your timesheets, you timesheet lover. Why? Why do you just work? I know. I know. It's because you hate yourself. Or worse, don't know who you are. Not studying. You arrogant little so-and-so. You were one of the world's fortunate people who got an education and then entered an industry which for all its issues can be fun and rewarding. And then you decided you knew everything and didn't need to keep learning. Now you're at home thinking, hmm, maybe I can learn some new stuff. But you could have kept learning new stuff the whole time. Not making art. Yeah, we get it. You're special and a serious career person. You became too good for art when you were young because art is for weirdos and kids. You pompous, so-and-so. This is why the creative team thinks you're dull. Go make some art before you cough yourself dead. Best practices. Screw best practices. Most of them are so general and waffly they are useless. Sure, look for first principles, but then put them into practice not just into another stupidly long deck nobody asked for. Your competitive audits don't make sense. Stop abusing words like that. P.S. I love you. Enjoy your eccentricities. Create new ways to earn money. Take care of each other. Curse if you need to. Move your bodies. Teach each other. Make that art. Learn money. Sleep. Sing. Read. Love. So that's just some stuff I put on Instagram. It's always, I find the reactions to that stuff funny. I mean, first of all, I'm always appreciative that people would even read it. And then people, some, get offended. And often I get told off, like, why are you using rude words? Why are you so angry? Are you drunk? I mean, I think I wrote that at 9.30 a.m. just after waking up on Saturday. And it's it's just, it's, honestly, I know I'm talking about strategy and advertising. And for some people, you might roll your eyes at that. It's just part of my creative practice. I sometimes channel these weird voices and there's nothing wrong with it. And if you think there's something wrong with it and you work in a creative industry, maybe there's something wrong with you. That's all I'm saying. And the other thing is in comedy, they could, there's this idea, this concept called commit to the bit. Now, again, a real art, like if I was actually an artist, I wouldn't tell you what I was doing. I would just do it, but I guess I'm not, I'm half stepping. Uh, But there's this concept called commit to the bit. And in in comedy, if you're going to act out, if, if you're going to take on a role, or act savage or broken, you do it in an extreme way and you don't half-step it. So that's all that's going on there. It's just I'm playing with a different voice. It's one of me. It's not all of me. And even if I, I might have offended, some Some of you might have cheered along going, yeah, that's how I feel. Or yeah, I didn't realize you I feel that way and now I do. Or screw that guy. Is that a-hole? But the thing is like, I don't even necessarily bel- like what I just went through, they're not absolute truths for me. I'm just saying stuff to try to get just to push people around a little bit. And it annoys me that I feel I have to explain it. So I guess you can work out uh, where my self-esteem is on some of these things, but it's a bit of fun. And uh, when people reach out and they're like, oh, you know, slide three or story three, that's mine. I appreciate it because I I feel like for some people, it's going to give them language to think about their lives in new and positive ways. I'm just using an angry authoritarian grump voice to get there. That's all that's going on. It's totally cool. Uh, If you ever want to ask me about my mental health, if you see me not active online for a few days, that's when I'm like, I'm going through something. I I learned that about myself a few years ago. I'm like, I just don't feel like writing. You know, that's when I, I might've shifted into a listless phase, which I don't tend to do much now. I had a little bit of funk hit me in February, but winter does mess with me a little. And when I came back from France, I was in Lyon, which is right next to Italy or very close to Italy at the very least at the end of January. I was in this line at JFK for a couple of hours and it was packed and everyone was coughing and spluttering. A lot of people had face masks. It, It felt disgusting in the moment, but I didn't realize that coronavirus was like such a big thing. And it doesn't, I don't think it would have taken a month or a month and a half to cat, to kind of catch on, but uh I can't even remember what I was trying to connect that to. But the point is I had a really, it was a weird, it was a weird experience. So selfishly speaking, I just hope that the lines and airports are more hygienic in the future. A lot of the other countries that I go to, not all, it's, it's way easier than the U.S. I, I feel like the U.S the TSA is quite punitive. And I, know, I don't know if people listening to this work with uh, parts of the American government or with the TSA, but I, I know there are I know some strategy people who work with them. And the focus is usually on trying to get people to come here. Because when certain political parties get into power or they say certain things, often international tourism drops. And so they, they want people to get here. But the customer experience isn't good. And then you, you're like, hang on, it's a customer experience to come through a border. I mean, it's one way to look at it and not a, not a bad way to look at it as opposed to it being something like more akin to a prison-like experience. All right. Just saying words now. Just saying, I was, I, was, I was riffing today, oh, sorry, this week uh, in one of the sessions. And uh, I, I've thought about this one a little bit lately too, because I thought I was... Talked about death earlier. It's okay. Everything's okay. But I was like, I think I want to be cremated. So I was like, on my deathbed, send me jokes. Uh, Because I want to die laughing. I want to die with a punchline to the head. Figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking. And then please check that I'm dead before you do anything with my body. And then burn me. I want to turn into ash. I want to fly through the universe. There's so much more for me to see. And I can't do that on the ground. And then don't mourn. Just make art. Sing, dance, hug each other. Go do some good stuff. That's kind of, it's in public record now, but uh, they're my instructions. (sighs) Gosh, when I talk about death, I get distracted. I was, uh, it's a difficult topic. I, I feel like we need to be able to talk about these things. If you ever want to talk about it with me. More than welcome to. So this week we had five days of about one and a half to two hour sessions live on Facebook. Sometimes the streams work, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes I could share my uh, desktop, sometimes I couldn't. I wanted them to be more collaborative, and then it was it just proved problematic because I was going from Zoom into well Chrome initially, and that didn't work. So then into Facebook, I spent probably like seven hours actually trying to work out how to get the stuff to work. Uh, Monday we went through ideas, problems, and insights. On Tuesday, we went through audience definition interviews and campaign ideas. Wednesday, we did mind mapping. We talked about propositions and writing. Thursday, we looked at presentation structure, CVs and portfolios. And then Friday, I did strategy upon a strategist, which is a session I first did for Z Melt in India, in Mumbai, Bombay, last year. And uh and I've played with the content ever since I've often ended the strategy mega class with Julian Cole with a a dabble at 10, 15 minutes of it because I always get nervous that when I share my stories or how I feel or, you know, mental health challenges over the years, I, I get nervous that I'm going to trigger people or that I'm going to inflict people with just stuff they don't need in their lives. But the more I've done it, the more like, I don't, I know not everyone in a room would be like, Oh, thanks for that. But I've had enough feedback over the years where I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep stepping it up. And then at the end of last year, Uh, with the help of Brian Kelly, we did a probably a 90 minute event in New York with no presentation where I I wanted to use people as the presentation to demonstrate some of the ideas. And I told stories that people I live with don't even know about. And uh, again, I feel conflicted every time I do this stuff because I'm like, nobody needs this. Who are you to do this? Why can't you just move on That the thing is, I've been in enough rooms now that when you set the tone with really honest, candid stories, it's amazing how quickly other people have at least two or three reactions. One of the first reactions is like, oh, damn, it's not just me. And that's really powerful. If you feel it's just you and you've been around people who shame you for how you are, or repress you, or don't want to hear you, and then you're in a room of people who can share fluidly like that, it's like, oh my God, I feel so relieved. My people, they exist. It's a very similar dynamic that draws people to communities and events such as Comic-Con or whatever interesting little communities you're in, right? It's it's true. The other thing that happens is uh, people are often immediately able to share their own stories because the tone has been set. If someone comes out and overshares for a while, for many people, it's not as difficult as they might've expected to just share one thing not for a while, just briefly. So that's really interesting. And then the other thing is like people come up afterwards sometimes with a tear in the eye or and it could come through a message later, just a, a gentle message. Like, you know, it was just nice being in a room of people At like me, being able to share these stories. It makes me feel less broken. It gives me a sense of optimism and hope. And those words that I just said right there, you put them on a piece of paper, you might roll your eyes at them. You might think, Oh, how corny, how cliche. But when you feel it in a room, it's pretty amazing. So I'm going to keep the videos, they're raw, the videos and the PDFs from this week up in the Sweathead Facebook group, just for a little bit of time. The user experience with the Facebook group is not amazing. Uh, The laptop or the desktop experience and the mobile experience are also a bit different, but you can go to the video or videos tab in Facebook to find those videos. You can also find the PDFs in the PDF tab. Uh, when i 've logged in on mobile I often can 't find the PDF tab, so you can also search do a search within the group for mental workouts yeah mental workouts and there are there are five of them so let me really quickly run you through some exercises i won 't pause for the amount of time that I usually do. The key concept with this with these exercises because this week wasn 't about explaining concepts in a deep way and talking philosophy and lots of anecdotes. It was just, let's treat it like a workout. And the main idea that we're playing with here is deliberate practice, which uh, I'm not sure who coined it, but I've read a little bit of uh, an academic, I believe down in Florida, Kay Anders Ericsson. And deliberate practice separates the most elite from the mere elite. And it requires three things. It requires someone with some kind of experience to break into pieces the required skills that you need. Two, it requires an organised set of practice sessions to focus on these skills in ways that are meaningful and not mindless. Three, it requires a coach or a partner to provide quantitative or qualitative feedback. So, some of the stories that often get told, and I am aware that I'm repeating myself, and in these in these talks and any training I do, I will repeat you know twenty percent of the things because they're this, they're in my head and they just come out. So, the, one of the pieces of research that was one of the studies that's often cited with this is looking at uh, violin players, and they were trying to work out why some violin players who were practicing six, seven, eight hours a day ended up being better than other violin players who were doing similar numbers of hours. And what they found is that they were more intentional with the way they practiced, and often practiced the most difficult part of their their skill set more often, right? Now, an example of uh, the second principle of organizing these practice sessions in a meaningful, not mindless way is how <clears throat> if you played any kind of sport growing up, a mindless way to practice soccer would be to dribble a ball around a witch's hat or a, a cone. There are different words for those ideas around the world as well, you know, or just running laps and then you play a game uh, as opposed to practicing the actual skills. So step overs, scissors, rollovers, drag back hooks all those kinds of things in more specific ways. And often in a way where you're actually trying to solve a problem, a spontaneous problem where someone's coming at you from an unusual, unpredictable angle and forces the brain to adjust more and to learn more and to really understand what that concept is. The third thing here is the a coach or a partner providing quantitative or qualitative feedback. That's a very difficult thing to do when you're doing like a one to many online training session, especially if you can't see people, uh, but that kind of feedback is something that if you're, if you, I mean, you can do it with your peers, by the way, if you're a strategist, or if you're, if you're a boss and it's uh, looking at how people are behaving and then going, hang on, the way that we discuss what an insight is, is this, do you have that? Yes or no. Okay. Well, here's how you could get it. And here are some writing techniques to do it. But you, there's like this little informal feedback flow. My nervousness, especially with the, the corporate nature, a lot of the agencies that I see around the place these days. And as you all know, Australian advertising when I was growing up wasn't that corporate. We were quite anti-corporate, even if we were in a holding agency brand name. There are a few places in Sydney that were more corporate and fancier, but in general, we have an irreverent attitude towards hierarchy. Uh, There's research on that, similar to the Dutch and some Scandinavians. Uh, And so the issue that I see in the corporate versions of strategy training and management is sometimes the feedback is too formal. And it's not in the moment. In, with parenting, they talk about teachable moments. A teachable moment could be something happens and you take your kid aside and you go, hey, what was all that about? Did it feel good? Are you going to do that again? No. Now, you don't talk like that. I mean, I try not to even talk like that to kids, by the way. And, uh, you know, parenting is difficult, but it's probably harder than managing people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. More responsibility in some respects. Uh, but I think there's a real challenge in these corporate environments if you're trying to bring up good creative and strategy thinkers in that you've got to work out how to have a level of informal interaction, even though you might have grown up in, in an environment where as soon as people had a larger larger, or largest title, for example, director, they acted like a-holes, got corner offices, treated people horribly. Uh, anyway, there's that. So that's deliberate practice. So. <clears throat> I'll run you through and I'm just going to say them quickly. I'll give you some examples. and move on. I'll run you or discuss with you. We'll do like 10 exercises and we'll see what I end up on. If you want, you can pause this after I've given you an instruction. And then do the work and then come back. Otherwise, you can just listen and maybe practice later. So I'll run you through some of the exercises we did in the ideas section. So one of the most important things to work out when you're doing ideas is to to understand linear thinking and lateral thinking. Different philosophers as typically philosophers. Different creative minds have different language for these things. I accessed it through Edward de Bono, who wrote about these things a very long time ago. Linear thinking is going down a line of thought. You think of a topic and you think of what you associate easily with that topic and you write it down potentially in a line. So what you could do is give yourself 60 seconds Write the word watermelon on a piece of paper and then think of 10 things that come to mind when you think of watermelon. Could be teeth, you know, when you bite into it. Biting into it could be another one. Seeds, green, pink. You just start with really obvious stuff. That's all that's happening there. So you could go that and do that for about 60 seconds. Another one that... Uh, I enjoy doing I do this when I'm writing and thinking anyway is opposites. The exercise again, and I'm going to use watermelon again is to think of the word watermelon and then give yourself 60 seconds and list 10 words that are possible opposites of the word watermelon. And what this is encouraging you to do is to argue with reality, which is what creativity does. (laughs) You don't realize this, do you? You're coming up with ideas, and ideas tell the world there's a different way to be. That's why it's difficult to work with each other. So what's the opposite of a watermelon? I haven't thought of this, by the way. I always get nervous that when I give an instruction to something I haven't done, that I'm going to say gobbledygook. What you're doing is you're, you're thinking through what a watermelon is. You're going to try to explain it in a sentence in a functional way, and then you might make a joke about it to yourself, and then you might be philosophical about what a watermelon is. Or you might think about what what a watermelon does. And yeah, I say water like that, not water. I get teased about that a lot. So for some of you, a watermelon might be a fun way to quench your thirst on a hot day. Well, what's the opposite of that? It would be to feel or increase thirst on a cold day. So perhaps for some of you, I don't know if this is gonna work, the opposite of watermelon is salt, or you could make it funnier. Doesn't salt make us thirsty? I've seen that debated a little bit, I need to double check. Uh, But yeah, that's why we get peanuts and cashew nuts, and peanuts aren't nuts, they're legumes. That's so trippy in bars. Okay, next exercise, round three. Alternative uses. This is from J.P. Guilford, 1967. Again, think of a watermelon. Think of how you usually use a watermelon, which is probably to eat it or to somehow drink it, get it into your body. What are 10 different ways that you could use a watermelon? And you would give yourself 60 seconds. So, yeah, an obvious one would be weapon. Well, what type of weapon? And you'll often notice that the first round of alternative uses, you're using one or two word answers as opposed to going a little bit deeper so uh, i don't know what's going to come out now such as if the apocalypse comes and watermelons survive and then aliens arrive on planet earth i'm using one i often use but i'm trying to mess with it and we don't have any weapons we can use the watermelons as weapons and we can throw them at the aliens heads You just sort of stumble your way through it and then you work out how to make it better and give it a name. So that's round three, alternative uses. Round four is a little exercise called Samesies. And it's very similar in principle in that you are thinking about these things you take for granted. In your head, you're defining them. You're thinking about your philosophy about them. You're making jokes about them. You're breaking them into pieces and then reassembling them in new ways, potentially with some other topic or object. And that is the act of creativity. So you could give yourself 90 seconds for this. If you want, there's five ways in which these things are the, are the same. Watermelon and timesheets. How are they the same in five ways? Yes, I could soften the language and make it more accurate and say similar, but I'm saying same. Another thing that's useful is to actually think about things that you take for granted and to actually write down your definitions of them. Most things, as you look around you right now, are ideas. Ideas bring together things that don't usually belong together in novel and useful ways. So explain a watermelon in one sentence. And in that sentence, you're trying to capture the some combination of features, functions, and benefits. So ingredients, what they combine to do and how they help. You're trying to catch it, catch it in a sentence. And you're right to also wonder, well, who's the audience of this? And in this situation, it could be you. Or maybe it is an alien who's just arrived on planet Earth. How are you going to explain this thing in a way that captures what is novel and unique to it compared to other things? And these definitions can shift depending on audience, and they can shift over time. And they can shift because other things come in that are very similar, which means that you need to define your thing in a more specific way. Round six, let's call this the come up. So here you would get a minute or two and you would come up with a new product idea or a business idea by combining at least two topics. And in this case, it's watermelon and timesheets. And you, you could write for 30 seconds, however long you need. And then you could work out what you wrote, what you liked, how you're going to combine it in an interesting way, give it an interesting name, a name that you could see as a social handle or as a URL, and then explain it in a sentence. And because writing is rewriting, you might do it multiple times to try to get to a better, more captivating, more unique name and a more accurate sentence to explain what the idea is and to make sure that there is an idea. Okay. So that was, what was that? Six. I'll do do you four more. Yeah. That was six, four ideas. I'll do you four more. So we'll talk problems briefly. So when you're trying to identify problems, it's important to first of all, be okay to use that word problem. I'm not going to talk about why problems matter. There's literature on it, including something in this thing I'm launching soon. Uh, But let's say you're dealing with an issue with work from working from home motivation. And you're the audience and you need to change yourself. You need to essentially develop a strategy for yourself. Problem, the way I use it, is the human problem behind the business problem. The business problem for you might be that your job's at risk and you need to show that you're being productive. So working from home motivation, what you would do is you would give yourself some time and in this exercise it's, say, 90 seconds and you would try to list 10 reasons or 10 things that are in your head that are getting in the way of you feeling motivated. Maybe they're not just in your head. There are things that are practically in your way around you. Uh, that could be really severe. You know, maybe you're taking care of someone as well, right? So it's all, it's all those things. You just write them all down without judging them. And I use numbers to challenge my brain to keep going. Three, five, seven, ten. 10. Got 10. Did it in 20 seconds. Great. Another 10. And then what you could do is look at that list. So this would be the next exercise. We're up to, we'll call it round eight. You would look at that list, and in your mind you might prioritize. Let's say you get your three stars to spend. You're like, okay, which are the three biggest problems here? It's one way to do get to the next step. The other thing would be to choose just one that really stands out for you, or to look at what some of the problems have in common, and then to rewrite a leading problem statement, like the problem that you really think you need to solve. And all of this is trying to do is to get the brain to focus on one thing to solve as opposed to feeling overwhelmed about all the different things on one hand. And on the second hand, we're trying to solve the problem behind the problem, not just a symptom that could keep repeating. So once you've done that, I'll I'll go, I'll call this now round nine is you would write a clear sentence. You would, you'd either choose one problem that you've already written. You would combine some into a new problem or you just look at weird and interesting connections between them and write a strong problem sentence. And for you, it could be in first person, you know, so a sloppy one would be, I feel lazy. Well, what we are now going to do is say, well, why do you feel lazy? And you're going to ask that five times. And that's what are we at round nine, right? Yeah. Five times. Why do I feel lazy? And you can essentially build a mind map around it where each time you ask that question, you're, you're asking it back to the problem statement. Okay, Why am I lazy? Well, here's one reason. Why am I lazy? Why do I feel lazy? Here's another reason. Why do I feel lazy? Here's another reason. Okay. Round 10 would be to take that problem that I feel lazy and ask why I feel lazy and answer it. And then ask why of the second sentence that you wrote. So I feel lazy. Why? I'm sleeping too long. Why? Why am I sleeping too long? I'm going to bed too late and it's dark in my room and I haven't set my alarm and I'm not exercising or taking care of myself. Why? Because I'm freaking out right now. Why am I freaking out? Well, probably because I... Maybe you should be freaking out, but also because I'm spending 12 hours a day watching the news. Why am I watching the news? And you unpack it like that, right? And you can keep going until you stop. And then what you end up doing, so we've done the 10 exercises, is you will look at that smattering of thinking that you just put out onto the table, onto a a piece of paper, and you'll think, okay, it's time to get to work. It's time to get some action happening. What am I here to solve? Now, if you're working for a brand or a business, you need research, some kind of research. You can use intuition if that's what you have, but strategy to me means you have research uh, about the audience that you're working with. But in the examples we've done, you are the audience. All right. So there are examples, I believe of how to break down the strategy and creative profession into little things that you can practice. Two common ways that you could do this are other, other two other easy ways to practice are to watch stand-up comedy, watch like a ten-minute set, and as you're watching it, just write down clean sentences, either direct quotes from the comedian or interpret what they're saying and write down a sentence that you feel is an insight. And then re-watch it and see if you've got more. You could or see if you can write more. You would rewrite them or rewrite them in your own voice. Another thing you can do if you're interested in presenting better is watch TED talks, grab a one, grab one 10 minute TED talk and try to structure it in a three act structure. If you're interested in that stuff, you can find the PDF in the Sweathead Facebook group, or you can Google how to make a presentation, make a point and you'll find some silly drawings I've got, but you can use these kinds of templates to post rationalized uh, work that's in the workplace Uh, work. That's, in the world the third one actually is whether or not you like ads like television ads commercials is spend 30 minutes watching 30 ads and for each ad you write for each ad you watch just write down what you think the idea is if you're bold enough and you think you can write the idea the problem you think they're trying to solve with it the insight that's in the idea the strategy that comes before the idea and the audience that they're trying to interact with go for it but at the very least 30 minutes of watching ads and writing what you think the main idea is in a phrase or a sentence. You can practice all this sort of stuff. You know that, you know that. All right. So now I'm going to go to some questions. That's how we say it in Aussie French, which is totally a thing, by the way. So I've got some on, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and as always, big thanks. Uh, if you want to be anonymous, start your question with, non on Instagram stories, obviously Twitter, you're in public anyway. And what I'll do is not necessarily read out your name, but I'll read out your username because otherwise I've got to bounce around the phone and something will happen and uh, I'll freak out. So uh, later Jit says, and I haven't read these, uh, is drop in short term tactical spend because of COVID or coronavirus, an opportunity to scale up on long-term brand building. I I think so. I mean, there's research that's been doing the rounds. I think it was published in 2009. I talked about it like a little bit with professor Bruce Clark about 10 days ago that they looked at the brands who through the 2008 global financial crisis stayed active and they often came out stronger. Why? Well, they were top of mind. They kept advertising. We kept seeing them to advertise during those difficult times. Signifies that they're operating from a place of strength, perhaps we're more likely to trust them. There's a variety of reasons going on, but the research is out there, and uh, it probably does make sense to maintain a compassionate and sensitive yet active presence right now. I, I think people are aware of the other cycles more than ever, and so if you're just advertising and you're tone deaf and you're not trying to take care of your employees and you're not trying to contribute to your local employee, uh, local communities. I think that's problematic ethically, but also, uh, from a brand reputation point of view. Ogion post COVID-19 planning for destinations. Can't get research audience. Can't yet research audience got any insights. So I guess that question is based on what's happening right now with a sense of when this is going to end and what to do about it. Are there any insights? Uh, oof, I'm sure there are, there's research from past downturns. The hard one with all of these is you don't know how long they're going to last. Uh, I would connect this to the question before and it's, and also some of the things I stated earlier, which I, I just think sanity for some of us right now, knowing it's going to be difficult, knowing our communities are going to need help and support is to try to get your house in order. If, if you're able to, you know, a lot of companies, I, I, is this right? Like I saw America had shed almost a quarter of a million jobs on one day recently. And I think I saw this on the same, I dip in and out of the news I, I'm not in fact, like I don't, stare at it and let it hypnotize me i think they're predicting a couple of million job losses very soon very quickly so when i say things like you know try to get your house in order it can seem very naive and, and, and tone deaf but I, I think if you're able to hang in there uh, and you're not freaking out and uh, there's a level of functionality versus dysfunctionality in your life to as a person or a, or a company to try to work out how to come out a little bit stronger that's why I think a lot of people are talking about learning, getting the portfolios together, maybe working out how to launch different revenue streams for themselves in the future. I don't have anything, nothing specific coming to mind as far as travel. Uh, there's going to be a bit of racism in the air. You know, you, you hear a lot of people saying, I'm not going to eat Chinese or food, let alone go to China. And, uh, you know, sometimes that ricochet will cover into more Asian countries and just that one as well. So it's, I, don't, I can't give you anything coherent there. Anon is now a good time to change jobs if an agency is hiring. That's re- always going to be for the question asker to decide because you need to be clear on why you're moving. There is that saying, and an MDA I used to work with Rob Thorson, a big spaceship, lovely guy, said to me once uh, this quote, he who rushes waits twice, something like that. He always had all these old-timey quotes. Uh, great, great dude. Now you could apply that quote to this is now a good time to change jobs. If an agency is hiring, well maybe, yeah. But what if you lose it when you get there? It's it's really hard to know. And you can try to be as strategic as possible and think about which industries tend to be strong in this situation in a downturn. Plus add in the infatuation people are going to have with things like hygiene and healthcare and really try to make a strategic decision, but you just don't know. So the main thing is to try to be a piece with what's going on, be try to be as clear as possible about why you're gonna move. And then if you move, you just place the bet, right? These concepts I've I've cycled from other people, next play, next bet. If it doesn't work out, you just keep going. So you, you have to be happy with your own answer to that. Um N.B. Schwartz, can I do a fireside reading of my new book during week three of the quarantine? Uh, I don't have a fire. I could do a yeah, quote unquote fireside reading of part of it, I guess, in week three of the quarantine. I feel like I'm, when, when's that start? <laughs> I've, I've been indoors for nearly two weeks. It's sort of a quarantine, semi, mostly quarantine. Uh, I'm expecting the book at the end of June. We've definitely had some delays. Some of the factories are being closed, and we've had a bit of back and forth. But I'm currently expecting the, this book, "The Strategies Your Words," in the US the last week of June. Touch, touch word, you know. I'm, try, I'm thinking about what I do with it as well. You know, I'm seeing some of the film studios releasing their movies early. It might be my only revenue stream this year. I'm happy to share this stuff. It really doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm at peace. I'm totally at peace. Like I, I believe in us. Uh, so I'm trying to work out like, do I launch it differently earlier and different formats knowing that, it, you know, from, is it cheap? Is it free? Is it, should I it hold on? I'm you thinking through all that stuff, thinking through all that stuff. Uh, I can do, I could, I could do a reading. I don't, I don't know if people are going to watch that though, but yeah, I could do it. If you've got specific ideas, let me know. Uh, I might have a level of arrogance to do rambling talks like this, but I don't think that someone's just going to watch me read a book. Maybe they will. Maybe, you know, as I, as I hit more middle age, I'll just be like this weird older dude that younger people are like, Oh, Hey, that guy's doing that weird book reading thing again. We should check that out. It's pretty funny. And we'll drink every time he says the word strategy. So who knows? Uh, Lip Swam, How are you doing? No, really? I'm doing, I'm actually doing okay. A little, I had a good cry the other day uh, for a friend and uh, family's doing all good. It's uh it's more relaxed for us. Like the area is quieter and uh, the very, very hectic, Sports and ballet and school schedules are paused right now and I actually feel closer to my family. I've had more time with my wife than forever. We often aren't in the, in the same place together <laughs> because of the six to seven day a week um, schedules that the kids have. Uh, so I, I actually feel relatively good and I'm thinking about how to turn my bedroom into a, a home studio so I can do more things that I want to do, more art, more writing, more filming, etc., um, but you know, I just, I have, I have little flutters and panics about, uh, when I just get messages from people or I see these spreadsheets of, of entire communities needing work. And, and these are people who, have been around, you know, essentially white collar jobs and doing okay. And I, I, and I know that, you know, I think half of America is one paycheck away from from bankruptcy is that correct and quarter of americans don't have access sorry they don't have access to paid sick leave many don't have good health care is connected to a job for some bizarre reason in america so i'm anxious about all that sort of stuff i i guess after september 11 i watch way too much news and a lot of the the news that the americans would watch like the cable news it wasn't big in australia until september 11 and then people started to pay attention and i would lose myself all night watching it and so i don't do that anymore i, I try to You know, I'll dip in and out of, if if there's something that's more factual, I'll watch it for a few minutes. And then as as soon as one of the, I'll I'll check out Fox, I'll check out CNN, I'll check out, uh, you know, I've worked with Euronews in Europe. I'll check them out, see what the opinions are over there. As soon as a host starts to say the Republicans or the Democrats, I'm like, yeah, propaganda. I don't need this next. I don't need to feel good about people making other people feel bad about stuff. Uh, so I feel like, Hey, I'm just trying to contribute and stay sane and, uh, yeah, I feel relatively at peace. A little bit sad, a little bit panicky, but mostly at peace. And for me to say that is a big four decades long achievement. Len WP3, what can I plan about a better scale in order to be an anarchist at the margins? Well, I think you're going to need to scale alternatives. <laughs> an anarchist at the margins? I don't. Is that really an idea? Can you be an anarchist at the margins? That just means you're like the crazy person in the corner. Look, I think what you're talking about there is you're just using, I'm I'm imagining you're using the word anarchist in a dramatic way to really talk about the idea of pointing out to people that there are other ways to be which might defy their existing understanding of the way society, companies are ordered and their hierarchy, right, their structures. So I I think it's uh, a planner in the margins. I don't think the margins are where a planner needs to be. I, I think you don't have a job or a livelihood very long if you're in the margins. So I challenge the question somewhat. Uh, And the thing is, it's very easy to be an outsider and saying, oh, all that stuff over there and you're pointing at the whole world. Yeah, we got to tear it down. We got to burn it. So, oh, yeah, you got a big match to you. You're just going to do that. And then what are you going to do? Oh, whatever we want to do. Yeah, well, guess what? A lot of sociopaths and psychopaths in the world. You want them to do what they want to do because they're going to eat you, all right? That's what's going to happen. So I think the anarchist and the margins, complicated ideas, and it depends how, uh, how you're meaning those words, if you mean them as they are or if you're using them in a hyperbolic way. I think planners have to operate with their empathy and compassion. And okay, maybe part of your self-talk and ego is like, I'm so ahead of other people. I see things that other people don't see because I'm amazing and all that kind of stuff. Well, cool. What are you going to do with it? Either be the change you want to see in the world or you've got to bring people along and that change could take a long time to bring other people along for. So I think it's, a, it's a, a, an interesting question, but problematic. Some of the, some of the ideas without understanding specifically what you mean. Alvy uh, Knight asks about, the real cost of strategy work. I don't know what that means. Does it mean how much to charge for strategy work? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So typically there are three main ways. <laughs> I know my threes. Sometimes I'm like, there are two things here, or three things here, and then my brain goes, okay, let's go find them, let's go find them. Look, there are three main ways to charge for strategy work, and I don't know what the real costs are going to be. One is by hours to to the second is value-based fee. So you think about what you think you should charge and part of that will probably be informed by hours. Part of it will be informed by what you think you can get away with and part of it will be informed by your competition. And then a third common idealistic thing is to get some kind of equity or phantom equity in the company. And look, I, that sounds cool. I've heard this stuff for ages. You know, you hear a lot of planners like, oh, I just want to, I want to do, I want to work with more purposeful organizations and charities i'm like i've worked with some and they they can be really political and it won't be this uh this beautiful ride down a clean and clear venice canal like you think it's going to be it could it could be really frustrating and you could be dealing with master politicians with like families who are in the political world that uh, you're definitely going to find that in new york and london and most major cities So of those three, and there are probably other ways to do it, you could do like a, what's it called? Like a mixed fee model, which could be part of those three. It could be those three things, a little bit of those three things together. Typically how you're going to work out costs is you're going to work out your deliverables, work out how long it's going to take you to do, work out your hourly rate. And that's often a ratio based on a percentage of, potential utilization of the employee multiplied by could be like two and a half. I see different numbers. And I actually interviewed uh, Darren Woolley who is, who, who works with companies on pitching and procurement. And he talks about different ratios that he's hearing the ratios aren't what they used to be kids, All right? Way under pressure. And then anytime you price your stuff, I don't know if this is a useful answer. You price it, you sell it. You might have to negotiate and then you just have to be happy with it. And you learn for next time. But price it in a way where you're like, okay, that's enough. I can I can work with that. It feels respectful. And then move on. Do the work. And then you learn for the next time. And you might get more and more confident or play with a different different uh, pricing model. hope that was useful. Mariana Cotlia. How do I lead and manage a team through shitty anxious times when I am also anxious? I feel that action is really important and getting people to do so first of all empathy is going to be important acknowledging that it's it's going to be difficult and anxious times yet we want to operate in spite of them if someone's really caught in a pickle uh you know maybe you can lend additional uh, more aggressive emotional support or connect them to someone who can so that that's probably the first i was going to say line of defense it's probably the wrong language but that's the first thing to think through, then you want to keep people active. You know, a brain that's not active is going to struggle. You might uh, if if you're not sure what's happening with work and how predictable the work is gonna be, if your clients have all gone ghost for a minute because they're also worrying about this sort of stuff, but you have your employees and they're still employed, then work out group activities you can do, work out how to be constructive and, and how to contribute to your company and or community and that you're learning along the way. I would recommend everybody, if you haven't read it already, read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, And really one of the main morals, or one of the main ideas I took out of that is because he he was in concentration camps uh, during World War II, and he was a psychologist. And uh, and I've seen a little bit of debate about the veracity of some of his uh, stories online. So, and I don't have a point of view I don't know, but it's a good book, it's worth reading. And his point is that in the concentration camps, when people he was with lost hope, they didn't have a story to tell themselves about why to live, that often they would not live very long. Uh, A little bit dramatic based on what we're going through now, the point is that you have to manufacture meaning for yourself and then meaning I believe is best reinforced by having actions where you're doing stuff to make that meaning happen. So I hope there's something useful there. It also really like me talking into a microphone way easier to think of these things and than it is to sometimes do them in the moment. So best wishes. Epic Chris, what's your biggest tip when freshly starting as a strategist? Uh, Well, know you don't know anything, but also know that you're there to learn your skills as well as to learn about people can be a really fancy job for some people. And it deals with knowledge and wisdom, information and data as well. But I think you're gonna get in your own way if you think you know everything. But also know that the job is to go find out. And one of the most beautiful phrases you can say into in a meeting is like, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. And that goes not just for strategy folk, but for producers or account managers who are often intimidated by not knowing something because they're supposed to know and then sometimes they put their teams and companies at risk through decisions they make on the fly without saying, "Oh, well, oh, let me go find out. It's a great question. I'll come back to you." They were are the, the first thoughts that come to mind. The Teddy Collie, how to get into strategy if you don't give a pig's ass about pop culture. I don't think you have to care about pop culture to get into strategy i I don't know there are any gatekeepers (laughs) saying no cvs or portfolios or people through this gate unless you care about pop culture i think it's a difficult idea for you to hold because you've made an ethical moral adjudication about the world through that because otherwise you wouldn't ask that question uh or you're going for the wrong jobs but You're going to be interviewing people, hopefully talking to people working on projects where you might really not understand or even have any interest in what the people are doing. The problem for me with that attitude, I'm being a little sharp, Teddy, I'm saying it from a place of compassion, is that your role is to try to understand people and it's going to be more useful to be compassionate as you try to understand them than judging them. So it sounds to me with that question that you're either using that question as a way to defend the fact that you haven't been getting jobs and to make yourself feel better or you're judging people and that's not your job as a strategist. You need a level of disinterest and that can be a cousin of compassion. But to, you know, I've seen this like a bunch, especially in the new york world because there are people here who are super fancy even in in their 20s and they judge the people that they're writing a brief for or on and it's like whoa stop that that's not that's not what it's about you're either doing it because you don't uh know what your job is you're making these kind of judgments because you don't know what the job is or you haven't done the work and you're just trying to like give yourself a reason to not actually go do some research like what's all that about so just be careful with that one teddy you might be trying to defend your ego with it as opposed to getting to a place of, uh, not ego disillusion, disillusion, dissolution, dissolving, whatever. But like you're supposed to care about people. And if you, if you really aren't interested in people, then don't try to be a strategist. That would be a very weird riddle for you to solve. Uh, I'm going to jump over to Twitter now. I'm not sure how long I've been going for. Uh, um, it's funny because I've sort of had enough uh, messages from people over the years that th- this kind of talk is partly because I've got this deep rumbly monotone voice I'd imagine is probably good for putting people to sleep. And if that's your use case of uh, my podcast, I'm more than happy to play that role. <laughs> uh, I-, I don't assume that people are listening to this because it's uh, a-, a fount of incredible, the incredible infinite wisdom of the world. It's just uh, I'm a character for you, but thank you for spending time with this character. Uh, Adam Piano, he's my friend over in Arizona. He's written a couple of books, one of which is Overthinking. We've done, uh, we did one event together in Chicago a few years ago. He is saying, I'm wondering about how strategy maintains order and influence with a decentralized org and team. Yeah, it's you know, you got kind of control order versus decentralized sense of lack of control. Because part of what that is, is it's, it's not about control or order. Like how much do we really control? We don't control the future. When you're doing strategy work, you don't control the future. You're uh, hoping that things work out. And honestly, if you ever think you control the future because you're an incredible strategist, you're it's ridiculous. You know, you look at some of the top, for me, I do pay attention to soccer slash football. You put a couple of the best teams in the world with some of the best coaches in the world with access to more data analytics and more specific data and analytics than any of us could ever get. They still don't know who's gonna win. So who are you to know who's gonna win and what's gonna happen? So I really think the uh, the theme within that question is, how do you have a sense of order and influence? Uh, and so that just depends on your people who you've hired, what kind of people you've hired, what level of uh, notification or feedback you need if you're managing people to have a sense of control. And so that's it might lead to a whole new generation of, I'll, I'll use the phrase like body language, but a whole new generation of ways to signal that you're working and that you're getting things done. Because again, this stuff can sound really conspiratorial, but like a lot of our offices are designed as these surveillance systems. The open floor office, the two main reasons for that, and it's not for collaboration, the two main reasons for that is you can get more people into the offices so it's cheaper per head. And that's totally fine. It's totally legit. It's not that this is a wrong idea. And then the second one is surveillance. You know who's at work, you know who's not. You can walk over if you think they're not working. So the question within this one is really, or the theme within this one, is how do you give a sense of order, influence, and action? when you can't actually watch people and whether they're working. The deeper question within that is, I think, how do you get people to feel that they're doing meaningful work and how do you attract self-motivated people and help them stay motivated and accountable to each other? That's probably the deeper question. Uh, Jeremy Singer asks, how do you think strategists can add more value to clients or to the agency if this turns into a deeper recession? Well I think it's about applying critical and creative thinking skills hopefully to more of the business different business models, different ways to earn money uh, and strategists are often at arm's length from the businesses in which they work let alone their own clients businesses and most of the chat is going to be about generating cash flow. so what are ideas that strategists can try to generate cash flow and or if they still have Work and if the clients and the agency survive, how do you try to help them build a brand that is respectful of the world as it goes through this trauma and in a way that it can potentially come out bigger, but not bigger because it was a predator? I've had chats this week with companies who feel really confident in their category, growing categories, they don't think it's going to get disrupted this much, uh, and it's not going to get disrupted much. And they're, a lot of these industries are going to consolidate, so some companies will be looking for in for the competitors to disappear or they'll be looking to buy them and uh, you know just hope that people take care of each other as they're doing it I mean you can't run a bankrupt business so people are going to be the main cost for a lot of businesses especially service based businesses like there's, you know just so I think developing different revenue streams different ways of paying uh, I'm thinking through some of this stuff with, what, some of this, with some of what I'm doing as well, slowly and gently. And then how do you build a brand that can sustain and then potentially looking at ways that people are using products and brands in, in probably in new ways under dramatic pressure. So, you know, for example, what some people call edge cases. There might be products out there that have a very conventional use and then because of what's going to happen, people start using them in really inventive ways. Well, how can a company deal with all of that? And then, you know, a lot of it's about doing things now that can help you or the company in the future. So learning, studying, trying to improve so that you're better in six months' time, 12 months' time, however long this takes. I don't know if there are any massive epiphanies there. I'm I'm sure you've thought of all those answers, but uh, it was an attempt. Uh, Jamie Bainer, how can we help small businesses and their employees right now? It's a tough one. This has been on my mind a little bit. I've, I've spoken to a few small businesses this week. Uh, I think it's, uh, well, let's always start with empathy, empathy and listening. I think are important, potentially helping them, uh, step up their game with marketing and brand, uh, and then potentially exploring your revenue streams as well as helping them build systems. If that's your strength, if systems are your thing, helping them build systems. I think they're the four starting points for that right now, giving them ideas for how they can potentially keep their employees either on or around.' I was talking to some family in Austria today, and apparently Austria might actually be closing this is how I heard it closing all businesses, so businesses can't operate for a period of time because some people are still going out and things like that. So their simple thoughts. Uh, Jack Appleby selfishly would love to hear strategists address living solo during the quarantine. So uh, I, I'm living with three people, a wife and two kids, a little bit different for me. I'm trying to th- I haven't talked to anyone specifically about living solo. If you've got social needs, which most people do, just make sure that you've got uh, people to talk to. If you can book in something, two or three things every day at a particular time for a week and maybe for two weeks, I think that's one way to keep a rhythm, to keep that... Doof, doof, beat in your life and it's really important and feel free to make fun of me for making sounds like that because you know I've, I've lived through years where i didn't have a sense of that i was always all over the place and trying to get stuff done working in agencies publishing magazines trying to make websites all kind of doing events and uh and there was a cadence in it right but at the same time it wasn't it was just all over the place it was a bit headless uh, so try to keep yourself head full but we can get some, I know, you know, a lot of people, Jack and welcome to New York again, but like we can get people together and have a chat about that. If it's something that other people are interested in, Dave Racine, how do we need to think about the retail channel? Now it's interfaces and increasingly cashless society. Well, look, I think the challenge with any of these questions, which is, uh, is that they are supposing that what's happening right now is really going to have a lasting effect and that we might not go back to business as usual my hunch is that we're going to go back to business as usual there will be a few new behaviors that come out of this potentially people won't shake hands for a little bit of time or some people might have to learn how to use yeah your conference call technology more or buy things digitally and they hadn't done it before uh i mean retail channel it can be anywhere right and that's why i think you know over the past two years especially I've worked with companies or I know, know people who are you know, pr- pretty successful entrepreneurs who started direct-to-consumer brands. A, f- a few years ago, they were all getting told that you've, you know, you've got to get onto Amazon and you've got to do deals with Walmart and all these things. And then after a while, some of them like, you know what, I just want to be direct-to-consumer through my own website. Because when someone buys something on Amazon, from what I understand, this is how the conversation went. I don't know who's buying it. I do not get access to the data. Uh, sometimes they can't control their prices in the same way. I, I don't know if this, if this is true or a company in these people is like a company in China is just going to knock me off as soon as they see me on Amazon and they can just go against me immediately. Cause there's no, the copyright laws are uh, more lax there. So I, I think it's going to be more of the same. Uh, it's, you know, it's people you need, I think you need more control of your own presences while also working out how to use the social platforms. Mm. Uh, there's two more. Julie Q or Q. Uh, maybe you've already covered this, but how do you even do strategy when your reality changes day to day? Most businesses throughout their 2020 projections redid them and threw them out again. Mm. I think that's I think that's fine. I think there's a couple of things there, in that at some in some way a strategy for a we'll call it a brand or a business is a piece of philosophy. It's like what's the philosophy of why we exist, what's the operating system, the values and all that stuff. So that could still be in play or you just have to throw in a little bit of like more research, more data about what's happening right now and then you're just running different tactics Uh, and maybe you need to shift your quote unquote strategy on a page if it's on a page every three months but there'll be something that's still true to the business that anchors it. Otherwise, it's going to come across as being fake. So it's, it's a good question. It's a tricky question in a way because so for example, okay, uh one of the phrases that I often use is for sweathead, I want to help people who think for a living live. Now I'm gonna keep doing that because it's sweathead's a piece of self-expression for me. And I'm this week we ran on, you know, it's like 15 hours of uh videos online and tonight we're running a couple of uh, chats on zoom for strategists who want to hang out with each other it's i'm still going to keep going that's different to someone who's in a bank who's dealing with and i'm focusing more on brand than business strategy here but like you're in a bank and you got some fluffy thing that's like better together yeah you're not going to know how to execute it because there's no point of view helping people who think for a living live It's simple, it's not incredible, but it's enough for me. I know what it means. Better together? What does that mean? I don't know. So it's a good question. Stay active, run experiments, try to treat each other with compassion, and then next play, next bet, next play, next bet. Dave Talon asks, hey, Mark, question, when creating a brand, there's tension between wanting something interesting and an easily decoded broad and accessible product. Brand and story that has the best opportunity to sell thoughts on this, uh, yeah, totally reasonable, so what I find myself doing when I'm writing is I'll try to come up with something that's a little bit wacky, so I mentioned earlier for banquet b a n k u e t that we had we kicked around this idea and i've've we've written it up on a piece of paper, and I'll get it into a formal document. This phrase, and I think it could be sharper we could play with it is feed your future self, and what that strategy is trying to do is to get people to realize that people in food banks aren't there to take advantage and they're fulfilling more needs than just food. And most importantly, what it's about is like, you might need this one day, especially this year, you might need this one day. So why don't you, uh, help a food bank because it'll, you know, be able to help pe- you or people like you, people that, you know, now at the same time, we're going to need more of a functional, we we'll call it, we could call it a positioning statement or a, a functional proposition, uh, And an example of that language for banquet is we um, I've got it written down somewhere, but banquet gets food banks, what they need, when they need it. And then you might play with this. Well, how do they do it? You know? And so you're adding layers of phrase and logic, essentially you're adding logic to something that's slightly more poetic and uh, yeah, slightly more poetic, to something that's quite functional. So, and then you just got to work out in which channels in front of which audiences you use these things. So I I don't think it's one or the other. I explore both. And then you're making your decision based on where the thing needs to appear. So if you go to Banquet's website in the future, if any of this language survives, and they do use some of this language already, maybe you see the logo because logos help people orient themselves. That's obviously a key part of website design. People used to argue about some of this stuff though, by the way. Uh, And then you see um, maybe it's like feed your future self. And there's a sentence that explains exactly what that means. And then there's the functional proposition or functional statement or positioning statement. We give money to food banks so they get what they need when they need it. And the word so is combining the function and the benefit there. Not benefit to you because you could then go you could talk about a benefit to you so you feel good about yourself for example and that is actually part of the uh research into altruism there's the warm glow effect and reciprocity warm glow effect is when you do something good you get a little drop of dopamine i believe and the reciprocity reciprocity idea is what we're playing with which is if you do something good for other people sometimes you do it hoping that when you need it it comes back all right, so I have no idea how long this was. Hopefully it wasn't more than five hours, but I appreciate you all hanging out. I know people are doing it rough right now. You've got people, you've got communities. You don't have to just, uh, you know, what was I going to say? What I wanted to say is like, if you're feeling rough, see if you can do something creative with it in between the freaking out and see if you can contribute to your local communities and in, and in a way that's true to you. know, we're all different. Some of, I know people who would be, you know, immediately physically active, getting trucks together and do all that kind of stuff. And others might do it through poetry or art or whatever it is. Like, it's okay. There's no right or wrong way based on where we're at right now. So uh, I love to you all. Take care of your people. And I'll see you next time. Peace.